Hi, I'm Joanna Bonaro, and I created a TV show called Good and Screwed, and out of that came these podcasts. Welcome to Terrace Truth Talking with Julie Hayes and, and Joanna Bonaro. Yes, and so today is... Wait, we did that different today. Yes, we did. She said my name and I said her name. I know, aren't we adorable? <laughs> Okay, don't vomit over that. All right, yeah, please. So, so anyway, today is Monday, and we're recording with our first guest of this series. Yes, we're and we're so very excited. excited. Yes, and um, today and, is oh, Monday. And Monday is? Monday is fortitude. fortitude, right. And under fortitude, the topic ranges how we get through life and and cope, yes. basically. Yes, So we brought in our wonderful guest, Martine Beyer, who is... Uh, a licensed psychotherapist who's worked in private practice and as a sexuality counselor for teens. Yes. And Mar- Martine has co-authored a book called Sex and the Single Parent. And it's a guide for parents who find themselves back in the dating game. And so welcome, Martine. Yeah, hi, Thank Martine. You. It's great to be here. I couldn't even say sexuality. Yeah. Before I wrote the book, that's Freudian. <laughs> I know it could be a little Freudian. So, Martine, um, we read your book, and it's it's, you. it's really very intriguing, and I think pertinent to many of our listeners who yes. are in their refulgent years. Yeah, and many who perhaps have found themselves to be newly single, divorced, mm-hmm. widowed, mm-hmm. and once you're in this age range, you most probably have children of one age, you know, one right. age or another, right. and your book. But, Joanna, yeah. tell um, our listeners again, and Martine, what fulgent years are. Well, our fulgent or fulgent years are when we are basically exuberant and wonderful, and we don't want to say middle age anymore. Yes, we don't want to say middle age right. anymore. Yes. It's better to live agelessly, right. yes, especially when you're dating. So, yes, um, thank you. Martine's book, Sex and the Single Parent, which we're going to really concentrate on, the book concentrates on um, giving you real-life scenarios and perspectives about facing dating again when you're a parent. Right. So, Martine. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, this is my first question, um, and I really enjoyed the book. Oh, thank you're you very so talented. much. Thank you very much. Um, so, first question, how did you come up with the idea? Okay, so I originally wrote a treatment for a book about teenagers, which is like 10 things your teen will never tell you that you need to know. And that was going to be taken as a, a real project. And at the, in the meantime, I got invited to co-wrote, co-write this book because I knew a lot about child development. Mm-hmm. And I have a practice. I work with a lot of people of all ages and a lot of people back in the dating game. And um, many people over 50. It's pretty common to be... To be out there late 40s, 50s, and older, I mean, as well. So so I basically started to research, look at many people I talked to both in and out of my office and um, in my practice. I mean, it's a very big population of people who are back in the dating game later and with kids. So do the, my first question or thought was this, was do the kids... Of these, do they like it when their parents date, or do they not like it? I think it varies completely. Uh-huh. I mean, it's the whole range. A lot of it depends on 
you know, what the divorce has been like or the separation mm. has been like and how that's been handled. And big part, um, what I, we emphasized a lot in the book was how you introduce the new person, how, ah. you, how you basically lace it into a child's life. Yeah. Teenagers uh, are going to have a, a whole different thing. What I thought was wonderful mm. in the book is, is in some of, you've delineated some of the chapters, uh, in like in chapter mm-hmm. three, when you talk about dating, or I think believe it was chapter two, you said the the age determines how well they understand what's going on. Right. And what I thought was magnificent is that you broke it down for ages three to seven, eight to twelve, thirteen right. to eighteen. If right. you want to expand on that, well, the little ones, it's easier because they don't they're they're looking to have fun and they're they're simply looking to be reassured that. Nothing is going to change or be destabilized in their lives. And so if you bring a person in and you have you make it an event, you go to the zoo or you do something that's of the child's interest, that they usually go along with it more and they question and they're really on the surface. The thing that's interesting about teenagers, and a lot of people in their 50s will have kids who are like teenage years. Right. They're, those kids are dating and discovering sexuality at the same time. I was time. just thinking yeah. that. And, you know, very often when the parent is going out for a date, if it's a, a, a mom, um, they'll tell them to button the shirt up more or why are you wearing that? Or, um, and they're competing. You know, um, yeah. What's wonderful in, in yeah. the book is is we is, Martine gives you real life scenarios, which right. I'm sure you've come across, where the the teenage girl will say, uh, you know. M- Mom, yeah. either, either. Well, I can tell the two of you are having sex. It's okay. Right. To, right. To, oh, you're going out with him again. Right. No, you're not. Right. Right. Or just ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> more than what I want to know. And then as a parent, you have to be very careful not to be telling, you know, confiding in your child too much, an older teenager, yeah. because they're interested in their sexuality. They're not interested at all in yours, which includes, really, um, I've had uh, people in my practice who do not have children, who are dating people with children, and even the, like, I had a situation where somebody was dating uh, somebody who had children in their 30s, Okay. And they were getting pretty serious. And Thanksgiving came, and he just bridled. He said, I, I can't bring you to the dinner. The 30-year-old kids felt threatened by it and protective of the mother. And it was an issue between the two of them. It was hurtful. I mean, the person I was working with understood what was going on, but it was difficult. And the 30-year-olds were having trouble understanding it. I recently heard a story... Um, that uh, somebody got divorced and her daughter, who is married with children in another state, will not talk to her. Son, Her son is completely fine with it and happy that she's going to have a new, you know, that she's having fun, that she's having a life post-divorce, but the daughter can't handle it. What's interesting is, I guess, at any age, whether you expect it or not, the person who's dating again has to deal with their children's Others. issues of the other or abandonment or maybe selfishness. The child saying, well, what about me? What about me? Which is understandable when they're younger. Right. But when they're older, doesn't it end. kind of takes you It back. does not end. It does not end. It's always like, what's this going to mean to me? It, it you know, becomes very self 
the kids are very self-absorbed and at every age. I was surprised actually at that time. It was eye-opening to me that, you know, people in their 30s were having trouble. And I supervised on something. There was a, a, uh, a guy who was 35 years old around that and his father remarried at, when he was much, much younger, like in his late teens or 20. Um, and he, for 17 years, he referred to his stepmother as the woman my father married. Interesting. He would never oh give God. her a position. That's hard. Yeah. And he yeah. wasn't a means, I think, uh, according to the, the therapist I was supervising, he wasn't a mean-spirited person. It was just that at that point, the loyalty to the mother was still... Intense. Intense. The and bond. Yeah. The bond was intense, and he felt he had to protect her. Um, so it inhibited. But, I mean, I think that's what people date, who are dating later in life... They will encounter more complicated situations because you have more eyes on the on the situation. On a happier note, to just say that there are people also who I've worked with who are adults who felt saved by a step parent and a new parent coming uh, in later in life. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, I mean, there were perhaps a parent who wasn't so good. The, the, the biological parent wasn't so great, and the step parent was the mentor and the and it became a really integrated, rich, you know, really life-saving. I've known quite a few people, actually, in and out of my office. So when you uh, have a child, is that something that people say right away when they start dating? So do they bring that up on the first date? And do they bring it into the conversation right away? I think it's a wise idea to do it, right. you know, within the first couple. Right. Like, and, you know... You don't want to do like a whole interview on a first date because yeah. you want to have an experience with the person yeah. that you're meeting and you're know, getting to know them. Um, but I think it's a good idea if someone does not have a, a is not able to envision children at all in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew somebody who was um, in her fifties, and she met somebody who was also in his fifties, and he had a child who was unexpected. That, mm-hmm. that came out of a relationship that wasn't even that serious. Mm-hmm. So he was in his 50s with a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. And she did not want to do, you know, she did not want to have the experience of parenting again. She'd done it. Um, and so that was, I think they actually ended, they worked it out. But I think it was like a real, uh, kind of a little bit shocking for her. But um, how do you work something like that out? Well, he enjoyed being the primary parent. He was not looking for a mother for his child. And so, well, this is interesting. When I was doing research for the book, um, and people, many people would talk about um, the fact that once they got over the pain of the divorce and this, this certain amount of separation from their children, which they hadn't anticipated, they actually loved having both a romantic life which was separate from the kids, and an adult life. Okay. And a child life. I'm sorry. So the romantic and adult life, aside from being a parent, uh-huh. um, was was very important to them and surprised them because they, initially they were in a lot of pain. Yeah, I, wanted, I just wanted to backtrack with, and I'm glad you brought that up, because yeah. before you even get to the point where 
you're even thinking about having sex and you have kids and you need to be able to balance all of that and have all those issues that right. that entails. Mm-hmm. Um, for many of our listeners, let's say, let's talk about the very beginning of that end phase of your life. So you're either recently, you're widowed and you're ready to go back or you're divorced and you're looking for somebody, for some connection and a companion, companion, um, some emotional and physical connection. So, you know, some of the questions which I thought were brilliant in in, that you, you formulated Mm -hmm. while you're reading the book. Thank you. um, (laughs) No, really, because these are the questions we would all, you know, I would ask myself, I'm sure Julie, you would ask yourself, because, uh, you know, Julie and I have been married for eternities. And um, but all of a sudden, mm-hmm. if we found ourselves back in the dating game, what what are you thinking about yourself? And you're saying, right. And th- these are verbatim so from Martine. Will anyone want me? Am I interesting enough? Can I still attract the opposite sex? Will I ever trust again? I mean, those are issues. Right? Yes, Julie, yes, what yes. Is- <laughs> I mean, yeah. before you even get to that, you know, before yeah. the kids, right? Yeah. So how did... I will tell you that no matter what age you are, you have the kind of the same range of, let's say, concerns or anxieties that you had when you were 14, 15, 17. In fact, people just feel... I mean, I actually worked with... This goes way over your demographic. I worked with somebody who was back in the dating game in her 70s, and when she would speak with me about things, I felt like I was talking to a 14-year-old. You know, is, is, is my hair okay? Is my this okay? Is I, you know, just that, that self-consciousness that a teenager has reappears in, in every decade of dating because you're basically on the, uh, on the line whether you're going to be accepted, rejected. Is it going to connect? Is it going to be a match? Is he going to like me? Is she going to like me? It's interesting that the guys really have a lot of it too. Like, they may not share it so much publicly, but it is the same. The range of vulnerabilities are the same. I mean, it's humorous. You laugh about it, and they'll say, you know, I'm 52 years old, and I'm worrying about whether he's going to like my shoes. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, it's crazy, but um, the vulnerability is there. The, so what are you going to do? Do you know? the men have more vulnerability as they get older? Well, this is interesting. Okay, yes. The women... Uh, will tend to go into groups more. They're, they tend to congregate and be more social. I've supervised on a lot of cases over the years where men, and they, they have all the credentials, they have all the goods, you know, um, attractive. And um, one person told his therapist something like this, I'm not quoting verbatim just for privacy, I don't know who the person is, that he, so many people came up to him and said, oh, I know a woman you might want to meet or you might want to meet. And he, he said that he basically pinned them on a bulletin board. He said, it's like monarch butterflies. <laughs> just across, And he was afraid to actually, you know, make the move to connect. And, you know, to the world, he was, you know, a very appealing, you know, uh, he was an appealing um, person with a, a good job, you know. Um, so they're more reluctant. I would say that the men, actually, that I've known closely or worked with closely are um, 
the more reluctant. Yeah, because yeah. I know a lot of, this is sort of off topic, but I know a lot of men that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that are unmarried. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's not easy for them. I think they can be very sensitive They're and very, shy, too, and, and reserved. Yeah, very, and they, they have a hard time with women. And, you know, not to be, you know, graphic, I'm not uh-huh. going to be graphic, but their performance issue, their sexuality right. changes for them. Right. Um, and I think I've heard many stories where uh, things just didn't really work from anxiety, though, mm-hmm. um, initially. Mm-hmm. It's like anything, you know. It's like, it's it again. It doesn't. The number that of years you have lived does not indicate the level of vulnerability when you're in the dating game. Yeah. I think it's really true. You're on the line, you know. Um, but interestingly, um, I was working with a colleague who uh, worked in this, specifically in sexuality. Mm-hmm. And she was really, um, she was having trouble dating. She was a little younger, maybe like in her late 30s, and she wasn't finding someone. But she said she was very um, inspired because there were women coming in in their late 50s, which is post-menopausal or Mm -hmm. mid-menopausal women, Mm -hmm. who really wanted to get like the right hormone mixture Mm -hmm. and because they were actually... um, meeting people and working on sexuality with a new partner. Mm-hmm. And she had many, many unanticipated um, stories like that. So um, I think it's a bit of a, um, a tender spot for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. it's a tender time. So, and then mm-hmm. the, going back to the, uh, the, the, the single parent and the kid part, what do the kids think, and I guess this would be an older kid, so it might be a teenager. Right. If the mother is dating much younger, does that bother them? Because you know when you're a teenager, you're very yeah. like, there's rules. Right. I only date someone who's 17 because I'm 17, right, you know? Right, right, Um, Let me think. Well, and I'm not talking in some, like, bizarre way, you know, where the mother's dating the girl's, you know, boyfriend. Right, no, like in yeah. The soap opera that, way. Right, right, right. Hopefully it's just <laughs> on, on TV soap operas. <laughs> I, you know, I think it'll vary, but I think it's probably like uh, if the kid is angry about you dating and feels infringed upon and the age thing, it's going to be another piece of ammunition right? that you're doing this to me. How could you be dating him? I could be dating him. So you said something in your book, and I'm not exactly sure which chapter it was. It might have been in chapter four, but I thought it really jumped out at me when talking to your children and trying to explain uh, who, perhaps, why you want to date, and if if you've been dating someone and perhaps some attachment is forming and dealing with their issues and your issues, you, you said something about, you explained to them the difference between the importance of having someone in your life as opposed to what having someone in your life permanently means. Oh, this is, in, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking that because I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you this little story. I was talking to Katie Couric. Okay. Mm. Nice. And I I was talking from my book about not having your kids exposed to people you're dating because 
you want to feel like things are, you don't want to present to your child a more stable world, and you don't want the sense of people coming in and out and that they're dispensable. And she said that when she had the loss, which people know that she lost right. her husband when she was, I think, just around in her 40 or so, her kids were quite young, and she wanted people in and out to understand that there were other male figures in the world who were kind or interesting and that it was an enjoyable part of life and it worked very well apparently with her kids so you know that um yeah so all right and i did have another question about sleepovers (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question what happens when you're ready or a sleepover. Yeah. And, and if you can answer it based upon the different age ranges, when you were talking about the young child, the slightly older and then the teenager, mm-hmm. are there, and maybe there isn't a difference. I just think with that, you, not to do it in front of, not to have somebody in the home in front of your kids unless you think you've got a keeper. Mm. That's my personal and professional take on it. More because you're role modeling for them in a way and it's not like it's not like a about being prudish or you know um the kind of morality you would impose on someone but it is that you don't want they don't have the judgment in terms of who they're going to let in and not let into their lives in a more physical way and you don't want to role model anything that they would use as a premature um signal to be okay that they for them to have a physical relationship before they're able to handle it. Because a lot of times, particularly teenagers, they don't realize that a, a full physical relationship can have a lot of overwhelming feelings involved. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. And hopefully a parent does, an older person does know that and, so, and knows that they're going to be faced with some kind of feelings that are more intense and that they're more equipped to handle them. The kids may be faced with it, and they're not equipped to handle them. So I would just say that keep the, the, the physical, uh, the, the physicality, the experience of them watching it out of their view. Okay, good. Well, I think we're running out of time. Yes. Okay. And so... But this was so great. This was really and wonderful. And thank you so Martin. much for very being our first guest. Yeah, and You're Martine so also, yeah. we were... Mm-hmm. We were trying to decide because Martine is a, a prolific uh, writer and artist and and also deals Thanks. with lots of major <laughs> issues that women in their uh, fulgent years deal with. And you also wrote another book I that did. we wanted to mention. And we're, we're going to bring Martine back, but can you just tell everyone the title of that book? Right. The book is called What to Do Instead of What You're Doing, which can come in handy for Many, many things in life. I love that title. Thank you so I much. I love it. The reason I titled it that was, be, and worked on the issues that are involved with that, is because very often people don't want to be worrying about, let's say if you bring it back to the dating, they don't want to be worrying about what shoes they're wearing on the date, but they get stuck on it. And if you can give people ways to move their minds someplace else, it'll get, give them a release. Well, what I love yeah. about that is, and I know that you're a writer and a therapist and also an artist. Because from a creative point of view, what I love about that is that that's something in a way I do in my own work as an actor or writer. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm 
stuck. Like maybe I have an audition and I'm just like, oh, I can't make this work. It's just like I say to myself, Julie, think outside of the box. Right. Right. Think another way. Don't do that same choice. You always and and especially as a writer, when you're having yeah. a writer's block, yeah. you have to think outside right. of the box. Right, right. So and even in life, you know, if you take a trip, all of a sudden you feel invigorated because you broke up your routine or you you eat breakfast you in a different lanes. place. You know, yes. when I talk a lot about the metaphor, which is kind of a male metaphor, but you know that you change lanes. And so if you're kind of in a gridlock before an audition or before a performance, you just you keep if you if you actually. In gridlock, you would change lanes. And so teaching yourself and training yourself and knowing alternative ways to go and just to switch it up. The, if you don't learn those skills, you're kind of at the mercy of the old strategy, mm, which yes. is just to stay stuck. Yes, and, and, and the old <laughs> adage that you, if you keep on doing the same thing and expecting different, different results... Right. But you're not going to get them. <laughs> right. That's right. The thing. But there, there are so many things to try. And I think that you kind of, the, the second book I wrote is basically just like a potpourri or a smorgasbord of you could try this, you could try this. I mean, laughter. Um, you can you can just you can just try doing uh, movements with your hands. There are certain things that if you just know to have those no pun intended, at your fingertips, you're going to be able Those to change tools. it up. The Those tools. tools. You yeah. need the tools. It's a skill issue. Well, that, Martine, that was great. This has been really informative. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So we're going Good. to close with our questions. Yeah, we ask each guest, and you're our first guest, four questions. Or four questions. Four questions today. So first question, what excites you now? Anything new, anything where I'm listening to people who have the kind of resilience and they just create something new. I get excited by it. I admire it. And I get, um, uh, I, I just kind of, I get a real boost out of that. I like that too. You know, our mm -hmm. world is changing very fast, mm -hmm. but if you can look on the bright side of that, as right. opposed to the dark side of it, right. you know, it's like, who knows? Right. Including with dating and at an older age, because people can find romance, love it. Really, at any age. Yes, I yeah. agree with that. That's true. It can surprise you. Mm -hmm. Okay. What steams you right now? When I see somebody being unkind and inflicting pain on someone unnecessarily, particularly at the grocery store. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have comforted more cashiers for, some, for an irrational customer who has been ahead of me online. Yes, I've, I posted something about that a few mm -hmm. weeks ago. So you and I are definitely in a line. Right, right. Okay, so, Julia. What advice do you give the younger women of today? Not necessarily your younger self. Sometimes people ask it that way. But what advice would you give to young women? I, in terms of dating? Yeah, we can keep it dating. Okay. I would say make a metaphoric list of what's really important to you in connecting with another person. And make sure that the, the top of your list that you really don't want to have to live without is clear. Because in, if you don't get all ten things, you need to know what are the three, four, five, six, seven mm -hmm. that you're not going to be able to live without. Agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. agree. That's great advice. And our last question is, who is your TV character crush? 
Oh, okay. Well, I have an odd one. <laughs> I have an intellectual crush on the attorney Preet Bahara. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, I follow him on Twitter. He's a very... I, I saw him speak at um, the I, Harvard Club, actually. I yeah. love him. Yeah, he's just an elegant, he clear... Is. Um, he's got a great voice. Human being, and you know, he's he's very kind. It's his, and he's very very bright. He right? is very kind too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's a great one. All right. Well, we'll have to sum up our book recommendation. Oh, do you, I'm not even going to give one because I think this is our th book this is our book right. Sex and Sex and the Single yes. Parent mm -hmm. by Martine J. Byer B Y E R, and you can find out more information on our Instagram account. Mm -hmm. And so remember, kindness, kindness counts. counts. Is this a real